Take your Bible, please, and join me in the book of Psalms, Psalm number 65, and we'll begin at verse 1. We'll read the entire psalm this morning as we come to the word of the Lord. We've been talking about living under an open heaven, and as we study this psalm, it's a psalm of thanksgiving to God for the rain. The rain is a symbol in the Bible of the open heaven and the blessing of God. And this is a a psalm in which we see three reflections about God that the psalmist makes. And I think are good for us to consider this morning. Psalm 65 and verse 1. Therefore, the Bible says, praise awaits you in Zion, O God. And to you the vow will be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. Iniquities prevailed against me, as for our transgressions, you forgive them. How blessed is the one whom you choose and who you bring to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied in the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, your answer is righteousness, O God, our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and all the farthest sea. You establish the mountains by your strength, being girded with might. Who stills the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves and the tumult of the people. They who dwell on the earth stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. You visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless it with growth. You have crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip, and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks. And the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. I want to speak this morning on this subject. I can't live without God. Is that your heart this morning? Would you just say that with me? I can't live without God. Once you have tasted of relationship with God, nothing else will do. And here we hear the heart of the psalmist reflect those words uh, as he tells us about God's goodness. And he reflects upon the ways in which God shows up in our life. Father God, I thank you today for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the constant promise of your presence. And I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of the living God. And I pray that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive the word, that it might bear fruit in their lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. This is a very interesting psalm. The Bible describes it as a psalm of David. It was written by King David. What makes it interesting is that in verse 4, He talks about the courts of the house of God. 
And if you would just keep your Bible open there, we'll study this together this morning. He says, uh, I want to dwell in your courts. He says, I'll be satisfied with the goodness of your house and in your holy temple. And you say, Pastor, what's so interesting about that? Well, what's interesting is that the temple had not yet been built. And so uh, in David's day, there was no temple. Uh, there was no temple court. And so he must be talking about something else. Because the temple which we think about was written uh, was uh, built by his son Solomon. And uh, would later come into the life of the nation of Israel. So as you study the Bible, you'll discover that in the Old Testament, there were uh, two tabernacles that were built. The first one, the most uh, well-known, the most common, was the tabernacle of Moses, often called the tabernacle of the congregation. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he brought them to Mount Sinai, and there God gave instructions to Moses about the, the temple that he would build, which would really be a tent It would be a temporary structure in which God would dwell with the nation of Israel. And that was called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place where the altar of God was. And when the tabernacle was was built, God would send fire from heaven and light the tabernacle. And then the priests would offer sacrifices to God from the hands of the people. And then the priests and the priests alone had access to the tabernacle. They would enter in to the holy place and there they would offer worship to God in the room uh, that was just outside of the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies sat the Ark of the Covenant, the visible reminder of the presence and power of God in Israel. This was a, 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 a sign to Israel that God wanted to live with them. He wanted to pitch his tent among their tents, and as they journeyed through the wilderness, that he would be in their midst. It was a place of extreme glory as the pillar of God's fire would come upon the Holy of Holies. And Israel had a visible sign of the presence of God in their midst. However, over time, the tabernacle began to lose its luster in the hearts of the people. They began to drift away from God in their hearts, and this was in no part due to the fact that the priests of Israel had become religious and uh, ritualistic rather than having a genuine and real relationship with God. And by the time that we get to 1 Samuel where David is born, we read that the Bible says that in the days of Eli, the, the lamp was going out in the temple. It was a reminder or a symbol of the fact that the presence of God was being neglected. And that lamp which was supposed to be uh, given fresh oil once a day in order to keep it burning was going out, meaning that the the priest had neglected the most in, in, important duty of being in the presence of God and worshiping the Lord. And so the tabernacle became a, a bit of a, a, a weight, a chore for the people of Israel. They, they came to offer sacrifices, but not because they loved God. Many times it was just because of ritual, because of religion, because it was something you had to do. They knew the priests were corrupt, and so they uh, interpreted that as meaning that these symbols and these religious uh, things were really not that genuine or that real or vital to their life. And so the nation begins to decline. Finally, they lose the Ark of the Covenant in a battle. 
And in, in the days of Saul, the Ark of the Covenant was lost and the tabernacle uh, went into even further neglect and fewer people uh, attended to the worship of God. And so finally, God raises up King David and David has in his heart the desire to bring the tabernacle or to bring the Ark of God out of Philistine control and bring it back into its rightful place. And so you know the story. He goes and he builds a, a new cart. And he has the ark put on it. And while they're traveling with the cart. The cart of uh, the ox uh, hit a, uh, a pothole. And the cart tipped over. And the ark nearly falls. And so a man reaches out and catches the ark. And when he does so, the power uh, of the ark and the, the holiness of that sacred symbol uh, was uh, powerful enough to destroy him. It killed him on, this, on sight. And so David becomes afraid. And he says, you know what? I can't handle this. And, and so he hides the ark in the house and, and he leaves for a time until he hears that the blessing of God is on that house. And, and that everybody that lives in that house is becoming very blessed and very prosperous. And so David realizes, I can't just leave the ark of God, the presence of God, halfway. I've got to bring it back to its rightful place. So he doesn't actually bring it back to the tabernacle. Instead, we read in First Chronicles chapter 9 that he builds another tent. And this was called the tabernacle of David. And the tabernacle of David had only one room, and it was the room that contained the ark of the covenant. And so the Bible said that David instituted a new type of worship in Israel. And we read in the Bible that uh, now at the Ark of the, uh, as the Ark of the Covenant rested in the tabernacle of David, that there was a different type of worship presented. Rather than the uh, sacrifice of animals, people brought the sacrifice of praise. And they worshiped God and, and the ways that they worshiped God were different and unique as well. In Psalm 47, we read that they clapped their hands. The Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people. And this was a, a sign of worship and adoration to God. In Psalm 134, we read that they lifted their hands in worship. The tabernacle of David was a place for the lifting of the hands in, in an act of worship and surrender to God. We read in Psalm 47 that there were shouts of praise, that the people raised up their voice in great shouting of adoration, perhaps hallelujahs and uh, amens could be heard at the tabernacle of David. There was dancing and the celebration of God in the tabernacle of David. And we read that David instituted a choir to sing before the Lord. Some scholars estimate as many as 4,000 choir members, a massive uh, volume of voices that uh, were arranged in their in their uh, shifts in order to day and night, 24 hours a day, present worship to God at the tabernacle of David. This was a place where the Bible says that the people would come to seek the Lord. It was a place where uh, you didn't just go as a religious institution, but it was a place to go and have a genuine uh, uh, relationship with God, a place for seeking, for talking to God, for being in communion with God. It was a place where there were instruments. Now instruments were incorporated into the worship of God. And the greatest of all, perhaps the key to understanding all of this, is that we read that the Gentiles were allowed to come to the tabernacle of David. Something that they were not permitted to do in the tabernacle of Moses. But now all the nations are able to come and worship God at the tabernacle of David. The Bible tells us in the book of Amos and again in the book of Acts. That God said that he would rebuild the tabernacle 
of David. What was the tabernacle of David? The tabernacle of David ultimately represents the church and the church age. It ultimately represents a time in history in which God would be sought by men and worshipped by men, not through religion and ritual, but through the genuine worship of their hearts. That there would come a time when people would come into the presence of God and that they would have one focus, one desire, one ambition, and that is, to praise the living God. And so David writes from this place at Psalm 65, speaking about this tabernacle, this place where God is worshipped in spirit and in truth. Jesus said to the woman by the well in John chapter 4, the day is coming and now is when you will neither worship on that mountain, speaking of Jerusalem or this mountain, speaking of Samaria, but you will worship God in spirit and in truth. Church, you and I are called today to a lifestyle of worship. To worship God and to do so in spirit and in truth. Not out of religious ritual or obligation, but out of a sincere faith and out of a sincere glory to the living God. And because you and I are part of the church age, We've grown up and lived in this environment of worship and adoration to the living God. What happens then is that David is able to share the experience of knowing God for himself. That same experience that you and I can know and that every human being can know if they will walk with God. So David reflects on three things in this psalm. First of all, in the first verse of the psalm, he says, there will be praise in Zion. This expression uh, literally means, uh, in other words, David is saying, if no one will praise you at the tabernacle of Moses, if no one will praise you over there in their religious institutions, then there will be a praise in Zion. I will build a place for God to be worshipped and for God to be praised. Oh friend, this ought to be our desire this morning to say, God, if no one else will worship you, then I will worship you. If no one else will lift up songs of praise to you, then I will lift up songs of praise to you. Oh, you've got to be careful when you come to church. Don't let your neighbor affect how you worship. Uh, let me just be real honest with you. Don't let your neighbor affect how you worship. Well, their, their, their hands are down and their, their face is sour and they don't look too into it. So I'm not going to be into it either. Don't let somebody else determine how you worship God. God is looking for somebody who will say, God, I'll worship you in spirit and in truth. No matter if, it, if I'm alone or if I'm one of a thousand, voices. I've got to worship God. I've got to make my heart known to Him and to lift up His name in the congregation of the Holy Ones and to declare that there is a God that I cannot live without. That there is a a place that I have found where my soul is satisfied in the presence of the living God. He says about God in verse 2, O you who answer prayer. Here's the first reflection of David's heart. God is a prayer answering God. That was a very weak amen. I know you're wearing a mask, but let's try that again. God is a prayer answering God. David has come to know God for himself. And he's come to know that God hears prayer. 
That God is pleased by prayer. In fact, did you know that there is a reward for praying? The Bible says, Jesus teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, when you pray, go into your your prayer closet, go into a secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There are great rewards, great blessings that come to a life of prayer. To a person who lives their life in constant communion with God. In the desire to know God's will and purpose for their life. And friends, when you uh, come to know God for yourself, you come to know that He is a God who hears prayer. Prayer is such a powerful thing. Because it's not about getting us to uh, agree, God to agree with us. It's about getting us to agree with God. It's through prayer that our heart is refined. That our ambitions, our desire, our will is changed and, and shaped to, to meet the heart and desire of God. It's through prayer that you and I can touch heaven and that heaven can touch earth. God has given to you the key to prayer. He said you haven't prayed this way before. But from now on when you pray, pray in the name of Jesus. And whatever you ask in my name, my Father in heaven will give it to you. He's given to you the key to prayer. And that is that you and I can come boldly to the throne of God's grace. In the name of Jesus. Through the finished work of the cross. And receive the answer to our prayer. And I know this morning that each one of our lives is the answer to prayer. Somebody was praying for you. And somebody was praying for me. And I know this morning that you are praying for somebody. Let me just tell you, don't give up and don't stop praying. Prayer changes things. Prayer can move mountains and change circumstances in life. And God has made himself available to you and I by prayer. And the psalmist says... He is the God who hears. And to him all men will come. Then he reflects again and he says, Iniquity prevails against me. He's talking about a God who answers prayer. And he says, I discovered that there is something stronger than me. It's the power of sin. That sin, that iniquity, this internal uh, engine that's built toward the flesh. It's built toward evil, toward wickedness. This internal part of man. That Paul described when he said, you know, I want to do good things, but I don't do them. And the bad things that I don't want to do, I end up doing them anyway. Paul was describing the nature of sin. That inner, that inner bent in the heart of man toward, toward evil, toward uh, ungodliness, toward impurity. And friends, there's not a person in this room who stands uh, uh, un, unaccused as far as sin. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. From the, from the preacher to the doorkeeper. And from the church house to every house in America. And every house in the world. Sin prevails against man. Sin is man's problem. God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Friend, you don't even have to leave home to sin. You don't even have to get out of bed in the morning to sin. Sin will attack your mind, your thinking. It will attack your emotions. It, it will drive you to do things that you never thought that you would do. So David says what's very true. He says, sin prevailed against me. But I've got good news for you this morning. David understood this too. He said, sin prevailed against me, but it didn't prevail against God. There is a God who has power over sin. Come on, somebody. How did he prevail against sin? Jesus Christ came to earth. The Son of the living God became a man. And he died on the cross. And on the cross, he died not for his own sin, 
but for our sin. He took our judgment, our, our punishment. He died for our iniquity and our wrongdoing. And the Bible said that He took our, our, our lawless deeds and He nailed them to the cross. And once and for all, Jesus dealt with the power of sin so that you and I can be free from sin, its yoke, its bondage, and its consequences. Come on, somebody. And today you and I can say God answers prayer because when I sought His forgiveness, He heard me and He forgave me and He gave me a new life. The Bible said that God will take your sin. And he will, he will bury it in the deepest part of the sea, never to be remembered against you again. So David says, you are a God who forgives, a God who makes the sinner right and righteous before God. Oh friend, you'll try in vain to get right on your own, to do things for yourself. You need God. And that's why this morning I can say with certainty, when I look at sin, when I look at its power, I can say with certainty, I can't live without God. It's God who gives power over sin, who gives power over temptation, who gives power to break addiction, who gives power to break the very powers of hell in your life. And it's the power of God's grace at work in your life. This morning, that can make you a new man and a new woman if you will call on God by faith. And then he says in verse 4, how blessed is the one whom you choose to bring near to you. God says to us, and, and, and David reveals this great privilege of what it means to be drawn to God. And the, the Bible says that no one can come to God unless he's drawn. You didn't come to God by choice or, or even by accident. You came to God because He drew you. Because He was pulling you to Himself. And maybe, maybe all of us have come through different routes. Uh, we, some come through a bed of sickness. Some come through addiction. Some have to come through hardships. But sooner or later, man realizes, I can't live without God. And friend, when you respond to the calling and the wooing of God, oh, how precious it is to, to recognize and look back over your life. And say, you know what? That was God at work in my life. He was drawing me to himself. The, the, the prophet Jeremiah said he has drawn me with cords of compassion. God has surrounded you with his love. And he's been pulling you to himself. And David uh, is in awe of this idea. And he says, oh, how blessed is the man and the woman whom God chooses. And whom he brings near to himself. To dwell in his courts. And to be satisfied with his goodness. And at his temple. Let me ask you this morning. Are you blessed? Are you blessed in knowing that God has chosen you? That he's brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Come on, is the church here this morning? Or have you, have you come to know the fullness and the contentment of walking with God. Oh friends, I can't live without God. He is the satisfaction of the soul. He is the one that satisfies your life with goodness. And gives you strength to fight on in the various challenges of life. David understood that. And he understood that there was a place that he could go. Where his soul could be satisfied. Where the inner yearnings of man's heart could be met. And he understood money won't do it. And fame won't do it. And power won't do it. And relationships won't do it. And pleasures won't do it. Nothing will satisfy the yearning of the heart of man. But the presence of God. And being in the presence of your maker. And letting him wash you and make you new. And fill your life with glory. Friend, that is what God desires for every heart. 
and every life this morning. We come to the third, the second reflection of the psalmist in this psalm. And he says, by awesome deeds, you answer us in righteousness. Now the psalmist says, now God only not only hears prayer, but God does miracles and he performs signs on behalf of those who pray, on behalf of those who trust in him. On behalf of those who fear him. He says in, in verse 5. By awesome deeds you answered us in righteousness. Now in the Hebrew that's actually only three Hebrew words. Right there that make up that sentence. And the three Hebrew words literally translated would say something like this. You answer us in ways that are scary. That's a little bit of Isaac Del Santos translation. You know, you get the idea. Those three words basically mean God when you answer my prayers it scares me. What does that mean? It means that God answers us in ways that are so right that it's scary. When we pray, we think we know how God will answer, don't we? We think we know what God's answer will look like and when it will come. And and we tend to put expectations around it. But the fact is that God will scare you sometimes in how he answers. That when God answers, he may not do it your way. And many times he uh, will not even consider our way. But when God answers and you see the answer, when you see that God has given you the, the, the answer to your prayer, it's scary to think God, number one, heard me. And number two, God did it in a way that I couldn't even have imagined. I couldn't even have dreamed that God could do such a thing in my life. Come on. Is there anybody in here this morning whom God has blown your mind when he answered you? Come on, where's the church this morning? Is there anybody here that God has absolutely blown your mind when he answered you? When you look up and say, wait a minute, this had to be God. I didn't imagine this. I didn't conjure this up. I didn't make this happen. This had to be God. This was God's work in my life. He says, in you, you are the trust of the ends of the earth. Out of the farthest sea. The psalmist says, God, I can trust you. As far as I can go, I can trust you. And I can trust you as deep as I can go. As deep as the deepest sea. As I can be as low as, as a man can get. And I can trust you there. Friend, I've come to tell you, there is a God in whom you can trust. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord for he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of water and he says his his roots go deep and he bears fruit in every season and he doesn't fear when bad news comes you see there are people that at the slightest uh, uh, bad news their their whole life collapses but there are those who learn to trust in God there are those who learn that God works on behalf of those who trust him and those who fear him and they have discovered that there can be peace in the midst of storms and that our roots can hold up against the most violent of opposition and oppression that can come into a life blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord but cursed is the man the Bible says whose trust is in man why friend because everyone who trusts in man will be disappointed 
Everyone who trusts in himself will be disappointed. There is only one place that you can lay your whole trust. And that is upon the living God. The word trust there literally means to spread out before. You kind of have the image of a, a man, maybe even David here, is, is going into worship. And he's laying out before God on the floor. His face is down. His arms are stretched out. He's leaned. He's spread out him whole, his whole self upon God. He's saying, God, I, I don't have any other place to turn but to you. And friends, that man, that woman who learns to trust God in that way, he is blessed. He's blessed because he has sleep at night in the middle of the storm. He's blessed because he knows the answer is on the way. He's blessed because he knows that he cannot fail. For God is upholding him by his mighty right arm. Come on, if you have that kind of trust, shout amen in the house of God this morning. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Have you taken God at his word? Then you're blessed. He says, how awesome are your deeds. You answer in righteousness. The psalmist says, when I trust God, I know God's going to move on my behalf. He's going to do a mighty work. Now, there are lots of works that we could consider in the Bible, but I'm not going to go very far. Just go to Psalm 66, the very next psalm in your Bible. Verse 5, the psalmist says there, come and see the works of God. Come on, when you have had a, a, when you're walking with God... And you know that you can trust him. Then you can say come and see. Let me show you what God has done. And let me tell you what God has done. He says come and see the works of God. Who is awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. They let us rejoice in him. What is he talking about? He's talking about when the Israelites came out of Egypt. And they, they were delivered from Egyptian bondage, but they came up against the Red Sea. And now they were blocked in. They were at a dead end. And they thought this was the end. But God told Moses, this is not the end. Go forward. And so God sent a mighty wind and he parted the Red Sea. And the people of God crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And then again, when they came into the promised land, God told them to cross the promised land. And they had to cross, uh, cross into the promised land. But they had to cross the Jordan River. The Jordan River was flooded. It was a mile wide. It was a treacherous thing to try to do at that moment. But when they touched their feet up against the, the banks of the river, the river parted and the water became, uh, the, the, the water was held up and the, the land became dry. They crossed into the promised land by the miracle working power of God. What are these works of God we're talking about this morning? I'm talking about the fact that God will make a way. That God will open the door. That when you think you're at a dead end, when you think you have no way out, that God says, I am your way out. I am the way maker. I am the one who will open the door for you. Come on, somebody, maybe today you're staring at a dead sea or a flooded river and you say, it's impossible. I'll never make it through this. But your God will make a way where there is no way. And he'll open for you a path of deliverance as you trust in him. As you wait upon him, he will make a door in the most impenetrable of circumstances. And you will say, this is the work of the Lord. This is what God has done and will do in the life of those who trust him. 
I heard the story of an evangelist who went to uh, preach in a, in a church in the hills of uh, Kentucky. And uh, this was kind of a remote church, and, and so the service was going along. It was a little bit old school, but he was all right. And then all of a sudden, he saw them bringing out some wooden boxes. And then he saw them open up the boxes, and, they, and there were snakes in the boxes. And he realized he had been invited to a snake-handling church. And that kind of church was a church where uh, they would hold snakes just to prove their faith. And so this man looked at his wife and he said, honey, where's the door? And uh, it, and he, she said, I don't know. He says, well, where do you suppose they want a door? He was about to make a door wherever he could find one. Maybe you're in that kind of struggle right now. And you say, I don't know my way out. I can't see my way clear. But friend, look up. For there is an answer to those who trust in the Lord. There is an answer to those who put their faith in God. We read a little further and the psalmist says, bless, this is verse 8, bless our God, O people, and sound his praise of abroad, who keeps us in life and who does not our, allow our feet to slip. This is another one of these marvelous works of God, that he keeps us. Do you realize that you have been kept by God? I said, do you realize you've been kept by God? God will keep you. What will he keep you from? He'll keep you from stumbling. He'll keep you from slipping. He'll keep you from falling into faithlessness. He'll keep you from sin. He'll keep you from error and from wrong. Oh, friend, I can't live without God because it's the voice of the Holy Spirit that keeps me from the trouble of this life. And it's the voice of the Holy Spirit that will say to you, go to the right, go to the left. It's this voice that if you will listen to and trust in will keep your life out of troubles and will cause you to walk uprightly before God. Are you slipping today? Are you slipping in your faith? Do you feel yourself going up against the very, uh, the very challenges of life and finding no traction, no place for your feet? Trust in God. Call upon Him now. He will keep your soul. He will keep you out of all the, the troubles that the enemy would seek to bring destruction to your faith. And friend, you'll discover that even if he let you go through a trial, that he will keep you in the midst of the trial. And he'll keep you in the midst of the storm. That you might come forth with shouts of rejoicing, declaring hallelujah. For God was with me and he kept me in my life. And he kept me in the, in the place where I could have fallen. Friend, to be kept by God is such a blessing. It's such a security in knowing that he keeps Israel and that he neither slumbers nor sleeps. That God doesn't take a break. And God doesn't take a nap. He's watching over you. And he will perform his word in you. We read a little further down in Psalm 77 and verse 11 about the works of God. And there we read the psalmist saying, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember his works of old. I will meditate on your work. And I will muse on your deeds. Your ways, O oh God, are holy. What God is there like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. And you have by power redeemed us, your people, from the sons and the sons of Jacob and of Joseph. Listen to the psalmist now. He says, I will remember. Now the psalmist is talking about the fact that there are some things God does for everyone. The, the universal and, uh, and wonderful provisions of God, such as the salvation by the shed blood of Jesus, such as healing for the sick 
such as deliverance for captives, universal works that God has done for all of us. But then there are unique works, specific words, works, things that God has done for you, specifically for you, to meet your specific need, to work in your life specifically. Oh, friend, I can't live without God because God is, is able to tailor make his work in my life to suit the very needs of my life. And God is tailor making his work in your life so that you can know that he is doing a work and be, he's doing it with such specificity, specificity because he loves you, because he cares about you. And so the psalmist says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Some people, they pray like this. God, if you help me, I'll never do it again. No one like that in here right this morning. Some say, God, if you get me out of this bind I'm in, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And then, as soon as they're out of trouble, they forget about God. They say, well, you know, I got real lucky that time. They say, what, what uh, amazing luck I had. No, friend, uh, you and I cannot afford to forget the works of God in our life. The psalmist says, I can't live without God. I need his work in my life. And I'm going to remember and, and, and meditate and muse on the works of God. And, and when the psalmist starts to reflect on God's extraordinary faithfulness in his life. His faith is built up and so will yours be. Friend, when you bring to mind the many things which God has done for you. I know that in the midst of trouble and trial, you and I might be tempted to say, oh, God has never done anything for me. But you just take a moment and think about it. Let your let your mind go over all of the miracles and all of the signs that God has performed for you. And I promise you, when you're done having that testimony service, your spirit will be built up. Your faith will be encouraged for you will see the hand of God working in your life. Come on, is there anybody in here that has a testimony? this morning of how God has worked in your life he says I will remember the deeds of the Lord I'm going to meditate on them that means I'm going to chew on them I'm going to study God's works in my life and I'm going to I'm going to allow that become encouragement when I feel like I can't go on any further that I have a God who does marvelous signs on my behalf You see, why is this so important? There are days when there's no one around to encourage you. Maybe you've never had that day, but someday you will. Someday there will be no one around to encourage you. That day came in the life of David, the very man who wrote these psalms. He uh, found himself in, in Ziklag and his wives and his children have been taken captive as well as the wives and children of his men. That's bad enough when you go through trouble. But when other people go through trouble because of you, it gets real bad. And that's the essence of leadership, isn't it? When you have made a decision for your family, for the church, for any other institution that you are the leader of, and now trouble comes with it. That was David's problem. And there he was in the midst of that, uh, in the midst of that anguish, and, uh, and they're, they're afraid of what's going to happen to their families. And then the Bible says his men turned against him, and they wanted to stone him to death. They were ready to take David out. 
They didn't want him to be their leader any longer. And so what happens is the Bible said David encouraged himself in the Lord. Can I just give you an instruction this morning? Are you discouraged? Then encourage yourself in the Lord. Come on somebody. Sometimes you got to preach a sermon to yourself. Sometimes you got to stand in the mirror and preach to yourself. And tell yourself bless the Lord oh my soul. And let all that is within me bless his holy name. Sometimes you got to stand there and tell yourself look self you're not going to give up and you're not going to quit and you're not going to have a pity party because greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world come on is the church here this morning tell your neighbor encourage yourself when it seems like David has lost all hope he remembers God and remembers what God has already done in his life And he encourages himself on the testimony of God's faithfulness in his life. Third reflection of this psalm. He says in verse 9, you visit the earth and cause it to overflow. Now, we read of God's dealings with man. And we see that God doesn't just hear prayer. And that God doesn't just do marvelous works, but that God visits us. That God draws near to us. Friend, do you realize that you and I can't reach God on our own? We're not holy enough to enter His presence. We're not righteous enough to merit His attention. We need the presence of God, but we can't reach God on our own. And so, what do we have as a result? We have a God who has visited us. He comes near to us. When I could not come to Him, He came to me. When I couldn't reach Him, when I didn't even know how to reach Him, or that there was a God to reach, He came down to me. The psalmist says, you visit us. You're a God who comes near. The Bible says that He comes near to the brokenhearted and He bandages their wounds. The Bible says that God comes near to the humble, but He is far away from the proud. God visits us when we come to Him in humility and we acknowledge that we need Him. And we say, God, I can't live without You. You see, friend, here the psalmist is coming to a deeper place of relationship with God. He's coming to the place of saying, I I love the fact that God hears and answers prayer. And I love the fact that God does miracles on my behalf. But there's something more than all of that that I want. Something more than that that I need. I need the presence of God. I want the presence of God more than anything. Because you see, friends, if you have all the answers to prayer and you get the the house you're praying for and the, the car you're praying for and the job you're praying for and the wife you're praying for and you get the, the, the scholarship you're praying for and you get the, uh, the raise you're paying for, you get all of these things, but you don't have him, he'll be just as empty with all of it as you were with none of it. Because God is the one that makes the difference for the soul. I can't live without God. It's His presence that makes the difference. It's His presence that makes my my highlights even higher. It's His presence that makes my lows 
rise up. It's His presence that makes the most bitter hour sweet. It's His presence that gives life and meaning and character to my days. Both the mundane and boring as well as the, the exciting. God's presence is the, the desire of every man's heart. Except most men only know that they want something. That they need something and they, they look for it everywhere. They say, if I could just find love, true love, then I'll be happy. If I could just find enough wealth, I'll be happy. If I could just get the, the right fix, then I'll be happy. They don't realize that they're, they're, they're grasping at straws because what they really want is the satisfaction that can only be had in relationship with the living God. And I don't hesitate a moment in saying to you that He is the living God. A God who can be known and who can be heard. A God who can be related to. A God whose presence you can enjoy all the days of your life. This is what made the tabernacle of David so special. It was not a place of religious observance. It was a place of encounter with the living God. And he says, God, you visit the earth. Now the way he describes God's visitation is like rain. And the Bible says in the New Testament, Jesus speaking, he says it rains on the just and the unjust. Now really, what God is saying through that is that God has poured out His goodness on people that don't deserve it. In order that they might come to know Him. Because it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. And so God allows His goodness to fall on all people and so many people today. Enjoy the goodness of God without ever acknowledging Him. But then there are those who receive the rain of heaven and they realize, wait a minute, I don't deserve this. I wasn't even in line. I wasn't a candidate. I don't qualify. But I have received grace. I have received mercy. I have received the compassion of the Savior. And, and they acknowledge that it is this goodness of God, this, this gift of His presence that makes life meaningful and rich and full. He says, you water the furrows abundantly. His, his presence, the Bible describes it here like rain, like a stream of water. Remember, we talked about the fact that the open heavens represented the fact that God had blessed his people. And that when they prayed, their prayers were unhindered by any, uh, any outside force. And so here we see the psalmist describing this open heaven. And he says, there's a river of God. This, this, this rain comes down and there's this, this river that is formed. And it's abundant. It's overflowing. Some of you have walked with God a year. And let me tell you, in that year, has He run out? Has He run dry? 
Some of you have walked with God 10 years. Let me ask you, has God run dry in 10 years? I've walked with the Lord uh, for a little over three and a half decades. And I can tell you, in those 30 plus years that I have known the Lord, I have not experienced Him to run dry. Some of you walked with God 50 years. And come on somebody, is there anybody in here who's been walking with God 50 years? 60 years that can say I have I have a testimony that the streams of the Lord will satisfy you through all the years and all the decades of life. The psalmist said I have been young and now I'm old but I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. There's an abundance in the presence of God. And then there's an expression here I don't want you to miss. In verse 10, it says, you soften the earth with showers. I can't live without God. Because it's the presence of God that softens the heart. You see, when we haven't had rain in a long time, and you you go try and dig a hole, you'll find that dry dirt is hard. And there are hearts that are hardened because of the absence of the presence of God. See, bitterness creeps in and unforgiveness creeps in and all of that can wreak havoc in a heart. But friends, it's the absence of the presence of God that is most dangerous to the human heart. And the human heart without God becomes as hard as stone. The Bible says God promises to the, to the repentant. He, he promises to those who will come to Him by faith. He says, I will take out of you a heart of stone and give to you a heart of flesh. I will soften your heart. And it's a beautiful thing to see the grace of God soften a human heart. I've known some people who were before Christ, uh, they were hard and, and uncaring and unkind and brutal with their speech. But now they've come to know Jesus. And the grace of God has made them uh, a, a pliable, moldable clay in the hands of God. And now you see the smile on their face. And the love of God in their heart. And you see the generosity with which they minister to people. Because there is a river that is able to come and soften the hardest of hearts. And transform the human life. Only God can do that. There aren't enough feel-good movies in the world to do that, friend. And if they do, they'll do it for a minute. But there is a God who can change your heart forever. And make you a new man, a new woman. He says, you bless it with growth. Oh, I can't live without God because it's the presence of God that produces growth in my life. So that I'm not the same man I was a year ago. He said, Pastor, I, I'm kind of stuck. I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I, I've developed or matured in my Christian walk. Friend, you need the presence of God. You need the water, the rain of heaven coming upon your life. 
And it's not enough to just come on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, but you need His presence in your life daily. You need His presence in your life through all the daily chores of life. You invite Him in. You open up His Word. You invite Him to speak to you from His Word. He'll shape you. He'll mold you. He'll cause you to increase and to grow. Now here's the question I have for you this morning. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you and I are living in dangerous times. You say, Pastor, are these times dangerous because of COVID? What makes these times dangerous is not COVID. What makes these times dangerous is the dryness that is coming into many hearts. A lack of hunger and thirst for God. A complacency about spiritual things. Friends, that is what makes these times dangerous. That people who've known the Lord can grow hard in their hearts by not seeking Him. That you could have wandered away from the Lord in this season. And many have. Because of the uncertainty of the time, because of the difficulty of the season, the whole world is going through this thing together. And, and so many have no consciousness of God and still others who've known the Lord have forgotten Him. But I've come this morning to tell you, you can't live without God. He is the keeper of your soul. And he says, come to me and drink. He says, all you who are weary, if you're thirsty, if you're dry, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So here's the question tonight. Where will you put the Ark of the Covenant? During this pandemic, during this season in your life, where will you put the Ark of the Covenant? Where will you put the presence of God? Will you put it in a ritualistic, religious, manageable environment? Where you can keep God at a safe enough distance not to go to hell when you die, but not so close that He gets involved in making your decisions. Will you, be, will you keep God in a place of religious observance, just giving a nod and a wink at His presence in your life? Or will you do like David and say, it's not enough for me to just have God way over there in Gibeon. I need Him here in Zion. I need Him here where I live. I need His presence in my life. I need His power in my life. I want His voice in my life. I can't live without God. I can't live Without his presence. And so David built a a tent for the Ark of the Covenant. A place in Zion. This was something not been done before. It was really not instructed by Moses. But when God spoke to the next king of Israel, he said to him, do like David did. 
Create a place and environment for my presence to dwell. This morning, I wonder in your heart if you'll say like David said, praise awaits you in Zion. God, if no one else will worship you, I will. If no one else will sing, I will. If no one else will clap their hands, I will. If no one else will pray, I will. Because I can't live without you. Come on, let's stand together this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All over this room, just lift your hands to heaven. Come on, invite the presence of God into your life. Invite God to make the difference in your life this morning. You need Him. You need Him more than you think. More than you know. More than you've been letting on. There's a growing need in your life. And only God can meet it. And He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. I'm going to open this altar to anybody that wishes to come. No one will lay hands on you this morning. But if you want to come, just draw near to God. You do that. Where will you put the altar? Where will you put the ark? God, Kingsway Church will build a house of worship. A place of praise. Our hearts are devoted to you. This is the desire of our life. Come on, just invite the stream of God to flow into your life. To to soften hard places. To refresh and renew.